Welcome to another edition of the MSU Work Life Podcast. We are doing a episode today, a special episode, off-site. Usually I record these in our offices at 116 Linton Hall in the center of the East Lansing campus, but today I'm a little bit south of my office. I'm at the Spartan Child Development Center sitting with Liz Lauren and Lori Linscott, and I always get those names mixed up, a few too many L's for me to keep track of. <laughs> but uh, Liz has invited us to the Spartan Child Development Center to talk with Lori and herself about uh, local child care options here in East Lansing and the surrounding area for MSU employees. The work-life office at Michigan State serves about 13,000 employees, and that's about 7,500 staff members and roughly 5,500 faculty members. So we have a lot of employees here at Michigan State, and that's a lot of different family situations from uh, single individuals to cohabiting partners to nuclear families to caring for elders and uh, other family members, special needs children. Across the board, we have a lot of uh, support here for uh, families at Michigan State, but today we're talking specifically about childcare options. Um, but Lori, let's start with you because you have quite a bit of experience here at Michigan State. And I'll start off uh, with this question, given your 20 plus years of experience, when we talk about local child care options at Michigan State and the surrounding area, what's changed over the last 20 years? What did it used to be like compared to what it is like today? What's the biggest changes you've seen um, if we'd have done this interview 20 years ago today? I would say there are many more options for child care. The quality of child care in the area has increased as licensing regulations have increased and as the state went to the great start to quality tiered uh, quality rating system. So as centers and home providers participate in that, they have uh, outside resources and support to increase uh, their capacity and their ability to serve children. And at the child development labs, uh, you said there are two, before we started this interview, you said there were two laboratories. Do you provide child care at those laboratories? And uh, who is uh, employed at, the, at those labs where you work? At our Hazlitt site, it's half-day preschool programming four days a week. So families would not consider that child care. At our East Lansing campus, we are full-day, full-year, provide child care. Our staff there are master level head teachers because our mission being affiliated with uh, the Human Development and Family Studies Department is teacher training. So their role in addition to working with children and families is to train future teachers. We're sitting at the Spartan Child Development Center um, that has a lot of employees and cares for children. And at the Child Development Labs, you're doing a variety of things. I'm assuming you're training some future child care providers, given the options today uh, in the local area are many, ranging from in the home to family homes to centers, uh, are you placing a lot of uh, folks who you train at the child development laboratories into some of the uh, options that we're going to talk about here in this interview? 
Yes, we are. And but they're not necessarily staying local. So we have a number of students from Detroit who go back and practice their craft there. And when we talk about family home providers and home providers, a number of our students, one of their goals are to open their own home center. So they are trained in that while they're at the CDL. So here we are at the Spartan Child Development Center, and that is one of the options for uh, local child care. And I'm going to pass the mic to Liz Lauren, uh, who's been here at the Spartan Child Development Center for four years. Tell me, is the Spartan Child Development Center your typical uh, child care center, or, or how did they vary across the local area? What are the similarities and differences between the Spartan Child Development Center and the variety of centers that are in the local area? That's a great question. Um, well, we, I would say we're typical. Um, we are a larger program than I would say maybe some of the other programs are. We do have 10 classrooms in our building. However, all schools within the East Lansing area should be licensed. So that is a basic component that um, we all carry. Um, Some schools are also accredited by various agencies and also participate in the Great Start to Quality program, um, which we will, I think, talk about a little bit more later in this uh, podcast. But um, yes, we are very much a, a, a an example of what is here, and there are a number of schools uh, that you can find within in the area. What are the benefits uh, to uh, the families who choose to come into a larger center versus a smaller center? It depends on your needs. Mm-hmm. So family child care homes are typically a smaller program, so you might have more opportunities for Um, more individualized care. Um, Larger programs, you're going to have more opportunities for family engagement with more families. Um, I think each has its own value and uh, benefit. Lori, can you talk a little bit about the home provider licensure? I actually want to share that I was a licensed home provider a number of years ago. When I had um, my first child, I was working in a center and sending her to a center, and I just thought, well, why don't I just try doing my craft at home? So went through the process of having my home licensed, went to trainings. There are professional development opportunities for both home providers and family home providers. The difference between the two is a home provider is licensed for six children typically between the ages of birth and 12, I believe, and a family, and they would have one staff there. A family home provider is licensed for 12 children. They would have two staff there at all time, and probably a birth through age 12. And how I might decide which of those I choose, I may want a more intimate setting for my child as I'm I'm going off to school, and I would select a high-quality home or family provider. I might also be selecting based on distance next to my house, that it might be easier to drop off my child close in the morning and and pick up. If I have a child going to kindergarten and I need part-time care, being close to the school may influence it. So as an individual family, you'll decide which is the best fit for you as you're looking at care for your children. Yeah, that's the, I think one of the key things to start off when looking for a child care 
provider for your family is figuring out what your needs are first as a family and then finding a a center or a family home provider or a home provider that fits your needs. It really, you really have to start with, as a family, identifying your needs. Is it proximity? Is it um, that you know the provider? Is it that your friends also go to the provider? And you, or is it that you want to meet new families and go to a provider that has uh, children who will be new friends for your, ch- for your children? So identifying your needs first, I think, is where to start when um, finding a local child care provider. So one of the things that would be of utmost uh, importance would be the interactions between staff and children and staff and families. We'll talk a bit about that later. And when we look at high-quality interactions, we're not just talking about preschoolers who can talk. We're also talking about interactions, verbal interactions, and um, emotional connections with infants and young toddlers. And so you will know by the tone of voice, you'll know by the eye contact, you'll know by um, people being down at children's level that they are engaging in those high quality conversations and interactions with children. So let's talk about a couple of um, the other things on the list. What's the next thing that they should look for when choosing a local child care provider? The environment. The environment is really important. And so what I mean by that is how materials are displayed in the classroom. Are there ample materials for the children, classroom and or home environment? Are there routine health and safety practices happening? Are tables being sanitized? Are you seeing children washing their hands? Those things will cut down on germs, and we will be much more thankful later on uh, when the cold seasons come. Those things really help to keep our children healthy and safe. Um, are there engaging books? Are there materials that represent the diverse families within your program? Here in East Lansing, I believe Lori and I can agree, we have very diverse families here. And so we want to make sure that our environment reflects those families and that there are materials that will support children, maybe books in different languages and um, different uh, backgrounds and ethnicities. And so having a variety of different things like that, uh, the space is clean and uncluttered. Maybe items are labeled so that children know where to put items back to. Uh, Those are all really important things in terms of going into the environment. And uh, is cleanliness the most important thing or is it part of a set of things that we should look for when choosing a local childcare provider? Well, cleanliness, of course, is important. However, um, mess is sometimes good. I, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, that means uh, things are happening. If, yes, if it's <laughs> if it's too clean, um, you know, I, I I I always tell my families, don't put your children in their best clothes because they're going to come home with paint splattered on them. I remember once working with a program that had the majority of the materials were all loose parts and donated items but they were one of the most amazing programs i'd ever been into because of the way they interacted with those children we could probably do an entire podcast just on loose parts um loose parts when we refer to that are often items that um are just everyday items that can be used in a variety of ways within our classrooms so um bottle caps, styrofoam pieces, wood, I, I don't even know, just it could be it could be anything. We are always asking for donations here. So 
Um, maybe I'll put a plug in there that if you happen to have weird pieces of something in your in your building and you'd like to donate it to our program or Lori's program, uh, we would gladly take them because the teachers use them in magical ways. Um, and really, it's not the teachers, the children do, but they provide the space for the children to use these materials in ways in which um, are just creative and inventive, and it really lets their minds explore these items, which is really great. It yeah. makes me think of pipe cleaners and also uh, <laughs> egg cartons. Yes. And uh, so, you know, if you cut an egg carton in half and put some pipe cleaners in it, it's a really nice caterpillar. <laughs> you know, I think I learned that back in the 80s, but uh, those are the loose parts I think you're talking about. You- Give or take, yes. Things like yes. that. Yeah. Uh, that's good. that's good to hear that. That's still uh, used <laughs> in the centers and the and in the homes. So, Lori, I'm going to uh, pass the microphone to you and ask you to talk about trained staff. Uh, do, first of all, I'll, I'll ask you as a complete uh, novice to the child care landscape: uh, Is it required to have some type of licensure or credentials? And are credentials and licensure totally separate uh, elements of uh, the child care uh, landscape here in the area. The state of Michigan license to be a teacher in a classroom, an assistant teacher, you need to be 18 years old. To be a a lead teacher, they're looking for uh, additional criteria, but it's not necessarily a bachelor's degree. So there are many ways that people get training in the field. Uh, one is an associate's degree in child development. That would be two years at college. Lansing Community College has a wonderful associate's degree program. In fact, Liz has some of their students here doing do. lab practicums. Um, a CDA um, is another route that people can get additional training for their um, work or a bachelor's degree. And in addition, people can go ongoing professional development. The state of Michigan Central Resource Centers offer different classes for people to take. There are conferences that they can attend. People don't all have to have a bachelor's degree to be um, good. When Liz and I were talking, she talked about um, some staff that have been here decades that have had professional development through um, the center, but in addition come with that attitude, disposition, that they are a perfect match for children when we talk about that emotional climate and the high-quality interactions. Uh, So, Lori, what type of curriculum should someone look for at a child care provider, whether it's a center, a family home, or an in-home environment? What are the types of activities uh, that should be occurring uh, that are going to help for a child's development? There are a number of research-based curriculum that are available for programs to use. Uh, Creative curriculum, high scope are two that are I'm most familiar with being used in the area. Training comes along with that for staff. And by having a curriculum that's research-based, it's guiding teachers, uh, home providers in what they're doing with children. You could be a home provider or a center that doesn't have a purchased curriculum. What you're looking for then is that the provider is aware of child development, of milestones, that they're looking at the whole child in planning activities and experiences in all areas of development, that 
the lesson plans are available to families or the um, overlay of what's happening that week so families have an idea of what their children are learning and can speak to the provider about that. So it's looking at those, again, those milestones and activities and experiences to support that. And I also hear an element of like transparency in that, in communication, where it's not just that they have a curriculum and a lesson plan, but they're sharing it with the family. And they're being really upfront about why they've chosen to go this route with this lesson plan and what the impact and the outcomes are going to be for the child. So it's both the plan and also the communication with the family that's probably important. Uh, and I think probably within those lessons plan, lesson plans, uh, there's some type of diversity in the activities. So the lessons plan, lesson plan is not probably just monolithic in the terms of read this book, do this worksheet, but it involves some type of outdoor play or activities. Am I correct in this assumption? Do these uh, curricula and lesson plans involve a diverse set of activities like that? Is that something I should look for? You should look for that. You should look for individualization in programming. So it's not a cookie cutter, do this activity and all children will fall within this framework if they're three. That we know children develop at different rates in different areas. Your child may be exceptional at um, physical activity and may be really working on those social skills or vice versa. And so when teachers are planning and home providers are planning for these experiences, they know, oh, for this child, I'm going to have to extend it because they're already at this level and I need to take them higher. And for this level, this child, it might be just simply exploring the the materials to become familiar with them to then scaffold them, take them up to the next level. So uh, what's my next step if I'm, if I'm thinking, okay, I've got my top three places in mind. Um, do I just call them up and say I'd like to meet? That's a great first start. Yeah. Um, we, um, I think every school probably does things differently, but a first point of contact via email or a phone call is great. And in that phone call or email, ask if you could do a tour. Um, being able to see the environment firsthand um, is, is incredibly important. It'll help to answer all of these previous areas and what a school is, uh, what is like. And it also provides you the opportunity to ask questions. So any of those pending questions that you have that maybe aren't answered on a website or um, various other locations, there is the opportunity for one-on-one -on -one conversations with an individual within the program. Now, every place is different. I highly recommend, though, calling and trying to schedule because sometimes there aren't people that would be able to step away from children. So, for instance, in family child care homes where there's only, say, one teacher and they're the primary person, they wouldn't necessarily be able to step away from uh, the children as they need to be with the children. Uh, even here, where we have a very large program, we are often in various places, and so we, we do ask that people give us a phone call. Families, pr prospective families, give us a phone call so that we can set up a time to meet. That way we can really dedicate time to answering those questions. Uh, for families who are just having infants, 
and and this is their first time in care, we want to make sure that we have the opportunity to answer those questions. It's it can be scary to bring your child to a place for the first time and and to leave your baby with somebody and, and you want to make sure that there's the opportunity to ask all the questions and have those questions answered. So definitely setting up a tour. Um, that way they, they have that time set aside. So if I've scheduled an appointment and I'm going to do a site visit, I'm going to do an observation, I'm going to meet one-on-one, when can I get in? When can I start? Uh, so is that the first question I should ask when I've kind of made my visit? Should I ask that before I even make a site visit? Um, is that a very important question? Yes, it is it is an important question. My advice, my biggest piece of advice is to be patient with your providers. Uh, we, we all have processes and wait lists, and we also encourage you to join wait lists as soon as you think you might need care. And I'm even saying might because the need for care in our community is more than what we can, can provide at this time. And um, while schools have been growing and there are more in the area there there's still a pretty large need so we do recommend that they get on wait lists as soon as possible it makes sense to me because it's such an important part of the child uh, child's life and the family's life as a family unit this is not a, like a decision of what we're going to eat today uh which you can go to the grocery store and maybe pick something off the shelf this is a different this is a different uh thing with child care it's going to take some long-term planning and um, you're going to want to set that up far in advance. That's what I'm hearing. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Join multiple wait lists. Okay. Um, What's a good number to get on? What's I mean, practical advice is to get on a few. You know, a handful probably sounds right, right? Five to ten maybe? I'd, I'd say at least five. Yeah? I'd say at least five. Um, based on our area and from what Lori and I both know and our community, I, I would say five is probably a, a, a safe number. Of course, it's going to be the individual needs of, of somebody and, and where they feel the most comfortable. So that number, maybe for that person, they, is three, or maybe it's ten. Um, but I would say five is probably a safe bet uh, to ensure that you do have care when you need it. So I'm going to open it up, and um, I'm going to see if uh, Lori uh, can inform us about uh, some of the resources for families. Because, as I mentioned earlier, I'm at baseline zero. I don't know anything about local child care options, how, uh, how centers are evaluated, or what other types of resources there are for me as a family looking for a local child care uh, center. Uh, so Lori, can you tell me about those resources? So centers, home providers, family home providers are licensed. That's a minimum level of safety. The state of Michigan has the great start to quality, they have higher uh, levels than licensing does. So centers can choose to participate or not participate in that uh, program. If you participate, you're evaluated from an outside entity that comes and evaluates your program. It has a five-star rating. If you look at the site we're going to provide and it's an empty star, it means that center has chosen not to um, participate in this Great Start to Quality. What happens is you can go to greatstarttoquality.org, click on Four Parents, and there's an opportunity to search for um, licensed providers in your area. You can type in a zip code and all the licensed providers come up. 
you can see their rating that they've um, received. And also on that site, it gives deeper um, detail into what each of the criteria are that they're looking at and how different centers may meet that. So if a family calls our center and we don't have a space, I always send them to greatstartoquality.org because otherwise what most families do is they, they Google it and some centers come up or providers come up and they don't understand really the breadth of availability. And at this site, again, all licensed providers come up within that zip code, which I think makes it easier. And then going back to everything we talked about, scheduling a visit going and asking those questions, you know, about the environment, the curriculum, the staff training, doing those observations can come together and help you find a center or the five centers you get on the wait list that you uh, have determined would be a match for you and your, your family. That's very helpful to know that greatstarttoquality.org is a place to look and not just Google. You know, uh, that same thing can apply to contractors who are renovating your home, yeah, okay? okay. <laughs> Don't just Google it. You're going to want to get some vetted contractors. Yeah. So, uh, again, greatstarttoquality.org can help uh, prepare you to uh, assemble a list of uh, at least five uh, centers or home providers or family home providers that you should go check out. Develop a plan, ask some questions, set your expectations, make sure you're in line, do the site visit, make sure it's clean, uh, talk about the curriculum, ask uh, what training the staff has had. Um, but go to greatstarttoquality.org and uh, start looking and start your plan. And if you have any other uh, questions, you can always contact the work life office. 353-1635 and we do one-on-one -on -one consultations in our office where we can talk about this stuff and we can answer any more questions you might have and provide you with more resources. So I just want to thank Liz Lauren from the Spartan Child Development Center and Lori Linskett from Child Development Laboratories for sitting down and talking with me today uh, on the Work Life Podcast. And the next time we do another one of these, because there's going to be a part two. <laughs> I feel like we should have a couple kids in here so we can ask them questions. Oh, I thought background noise. <laughs> ba background noise. That's a great kids. Playing yes. background noise. Oh, you yeah. say playing. I was thinking crying. Oh. But, it, you know, we'll figure that out next time. So thanks again for joining me and for listening to another edition of the Work Life Podcast.